All right, ladies and gentlemen, it's Aaron Fragnito with the Passive Cash Flow Podcast. And we're back here with an amazing guest, John Caspin. How are we doing today, John? Aaron, I'm good, man. I'm good. I'm excited to be here. Thank you for having me and uh, excited to jump into this. Absolutely. So I want to have you on the show here because I know you specialize in the Midwest and uh, my uh, grandparents are actually from um, Cleveland. So I would go there a lot. I know that's your uh, where you're outside of there, but I um, want to have you on the show here. You kind of a different model than us, but similar in a lot of ways. So I think it would be a wealth of knowledge for you to explain how you help people invest in real estate. And I know you have a big event coming up as well for active and passive investors. So I want to go over that. Uh, but before we break into it, tell us a little bit about yourself. Absolutely. So listen, my name is John Kasman and I live in Cincinnati, Ohio. But as you alluded to, I am born and raised in Cleveland, Ohio. So that's where I'm from. That's always home. But I've lived all over the Midwest. You know, I went to school in Dayton, Ohio. I've worked in Detroit. I've worked in Chicago. And here I am now in Cincinnati. So my background is in corporate America doing marketing and advertising for big brands. You know, I've worked at General Motors. I've worked for agencies with clients such as Nike, Coors Light, Mountain Dew, and others. So I've worked on a lot of different campaigns over the years. And really what got me into real estate was when I was at GM, well, I got there in 2007. So from 2007, 2008 came, we know what happened there. And I'm watching my senior leadership on the news after just leaving meetings with him, you know, a couple hours earlier. Mm -hmm. And I realized, you know what, you better figure out something else in case this whole corporate thing doesn't work out. And uh, I mean, unfortunately, I did watch a lot of my peers lose their jobs. And I thrived during this time. So in a way, it's kind of bittersweet because I got promoted. I was, you know, featured in magazines and being quoted for articles. And it was really good. But I also realized that all of those things were coming because of a title I held. You know, it wasn't for John Kasman. It was for the advertising manager at GM. And I think that's a really important distinction because a lot of times we get caught up in our careers and who we are and our job title. And if something happens or something changes, well, then who are we, right? If I'm no longer this title, well, who am I really, right? Because this is where I spend 40, 50, 60 hours a week Mm -hmm. dedicating myself. This is what I've been training for since college. So when you when you lose those jobs or you have these changes or you don't feel that fulfillment, uh, it can be hard and it really is an identity crisis. So for me, I recognized that kind of early on and realized I wanted to insulate myself and trying to figure out how to start investing in real estate is where I focused. It took me two years before I bought a first piece of property, right? I moved from Detroit to Chicago. I house hacked a property where we lived in one unit, rented out the other, and then slowly started building up my own personal portfolio. And ultimately what happened for us was we kept running out of our own money, um, save money, bought a property, save money, buy a property. And you know, I started to learn more about other people's money and raising capital and eventually syndications. And that is the path we went down. And to date, we've helped other people invest in over $100 million worth of real estate. And that's exactly what we do to help other people. So we help people in two ways. One is they can join us into one of the deals that we offer. Um, or we also help other people who want to follow in our footsteps and learn how to raise capital and manage deals for themselves. So we help them through our educational program. But those are the two things we do today. And I'm happy to dig in wherever you want to go. At People's Capital Group, we help you invest in real estate. Build your wealth by owning professionally managed apartment buildings in the northern New Jersey market. We want to show you how owning real estate is attainable, even for the busy professionals that don't have the time or experience investing in real estate. 
Now we only work with select people who are serious about building wealth. So find out if you qualify at peoplescapitalgroup.com. That's awesome. Yeah, absolutely. And and I find that um, you're in a, so you're in a very different market than us here in North Jersey. The Midwest is kind of the other end of the spectrum. You get a lot more real estate for your dollar out there. It's kind of the wild west in a sense. There's no uh, there's a lot less um, rent control unless you're in like Chicago or something or Cleveland probably has rent control, right? And uh, does, no. no, it doesn't really. No. What about uh, so does Cincinnati have rent control? No. Wow. That's that's a, a, that's a New York thing, man. That's a that's that, a New York and California thing. <laughs> I just assume cities have rent control. I see cities, I see skyscrapers. I'm like, there must be rent control there. Really? That's amazing. <laughs> yeah. So that's interesting. Um, so uh well, that's one reason you're probably investing in the Midwest, but um why uh why the Midwest? Well, there are a couple of things, right? And the Midwest is not kind of a blanket unilateral place for us. So we invest in growing markets in the Midwest. So I'm from Cleveland. I love Cleveland. My heart's there. My family's there. Um, but one of the challenges is that the market is still slowly growing, if not, you know, retreating in a little bit, right? And it's been losing population for many years. I haven't looked at the latest data, but, you know, it's not a market where people are moving to in large numbers. So for us and our model, we are always looking to mitigate our risk as much as possible. And I think there are lots of different ways you can do that. And I would never tell someone, don't invest in that market or don't invest in this market. Mm-hmm. Listen, if you understand your market, you'll know where the risk is and then you'll also know how to mitigate that risk but on a on a higher level if you are you know navigating different markets or you don't have strong ties or strong boots on the ground in one market one way you mitigate that risk is you understand what the trends are so that's going to be about population job growth you're looking at the data which jobs are coming there uh, what industries are there and then how easy is it to be a landlord there how easy is it to be a business owner in general in that market. So nice. those are the things we're paying attention to when we're selecting markets. So for us, we really like a two hour radius of where I'm at here in Cincinnati. You know, Cincinnati is a very affordable market. It is growing and it's very diversified with uh, last I checked, it was, I think, seven Fortune 500 companies calling uh, Cincinnati home. Uh, it was eight at one point, but seven companies here and they're all over from from Kroger to uh, P&G to, you know, Fifth Third Bank. So there's various different industries, CentOS, mm-hmm. lots of different industries that, you know, call Cincinnati home. And the logistics is one of the reasons, you know, you can get to a lot of the country from places like this. Same is true for Louisville, Indianapolis, Columbus. So those are markets we really like, you know, in this area where we're seeing growth. We're seeing a great diversification of industries, um, healthcare, hospitality, logistics. Again, these are some of the industries that we really like. And those are the reasons we like that. And when it comes to the Midwest, you're right. There's definitely more room. There's cash flow for some of the deals that we're looking at. So we definitely like to buy for cash flow, but we like that upside appreciation too. Maybe it's not kind of what people see in the West Coast, but we do like to buy properties that appreciate. And quite frankly, properties where we can force that appreciation. And you mentioned Chicago, and I love Chicago, and we owned a lot of property in Chicago. We don't really buy in Chicago right now because what we have found is it's not a very easy place to do business, right? Right. And it's that's true for <laughs> business owners as well as real estate investors. And particularly when you get into the commercial real estate space, well, those are the people they lock in on because that appears to be the big bad landlord, right? Like no right. one, no one gets sympathy, you know, no one's giving sympathy for the guy who owns a 20 unit in Chicago, right? You own a two unit, they'll give you some sympathy. Let's not raise the taxes too much on those guys. You know, these are a lot of our everyday neighbors. 
But mm-hmm. you own a 20 unit, they feel like you can afford to to pay whatever they decide. So yeah. for us, we decided, you know, that part of um, unknown risk and unknown changes was something we didn't want to have in our business plan. Mm-hmm. So we try to focus on areas where they are a little bit easier to do business. Yeah, no, I, I understand that. And that seems to be a lot of the case here on the East Coast as well. There's less restrictions for smaller properties that are owned by um, the people who vote for the people making the rules. And then for the people that kind of own the bigger commercial real estate that maybe don't live in that city or more just on an investment platform or, you know, an out of state uh, or even an in-state, but in a different city uh, investment group like ours, um, you know, then you don't have the ear of the politician because you're you're not casting a vote for them, you know, so that's a kind of a, those laws tend to favor the smaller uh, landlord, of course. So but yeah, that's absolutely uh, some of the challenges of the, of the East Coast there. Now, I know that you're buying for uh, cash flow. So that's interesting. So just trying to understand, you know, what does a, an apartment building when it's up and running successfully in the Midwest, what would someone expect to earn on cash flow on an asset like that? Yeah, I mean, we we buy we like B and C type assets, right? So C plus B minus type properties is what we typically shoot for. And on those properties, you know, you used to be able to see. Uh, I mean, you know, when I first started investing, people would tell you to look for double digit cash flow. Uh, I haven't seen that in quite some time on a on a decent property, but you know, I would say when it's stabilized, somewhere between six and eight percent is a pretty solid number on cash flow when it's stable. Uh, and now again, with interest rates you know, going up, you know, that may be a little bit less. So I would probably expect somewhere in a, you know, four and a half, five, maybe 6% range on that front as you start to move forward. But again, we like to buy properties where we can implement our business plan as well. So we're going to look to force appreciation. And when I say force appreciation, what I mean is we're going into that property almost like a flip, right? Mm -hmm. So we are looking at it to say, okay, yes, this is what it may be worth today. But mm-hmm. what can we do in the operations so that we can get this thing worth more in the future, right? So mm-hmm. that's going to be, you know, anything from renovations, which is pretty common. So, yes, we're going to go in there and look at the kitchens and baths and other things and say, hey, can we get another 100 bucks or 200 bucks if we do X, Y, Z? On top of that, though, we're looking at the operations. And when I say operations, I'm looking at, you know, property management. What fees are we charging for? Um, You know, how are we managing our turns? What are our expenses? Are we billing back for certain aspects? Are we uh, bringing in amenities like internet, um, other things like laundry? What else can we do to drive that in a lot? So that's the lens we're looking at. So we could see, hey, can we improve the operations of this property? And I tell people to think about it as if you are, you know, um, you know, basically a venture capitalist buying a business. You're right. going to look at that business. You're going to look at the industry it's in. You're going to look at, you know, what the current operations are. But if you have a background in this industry and you have a sense of, hey, you know, I bought a property like this or I implemented, you know, this technology or this, you know, uh, this logistics, you know, piece on at this company, I want to implement that here. You'll know how you can create value. And that's really what we're doing, right? We're going and we're buying this mini business. It's got an income statement. It's got a net operating income. We're going to look at that and we're going to say, okay, we're going to buy this for X and then we're going to implement our business plan. And then the property is going to be worth this when we're done. So that's really the lens we're taking. Yes, we want to buy for cash flow, but we're also looking to see what the upside potential is going to be. Mm-hmm. 
That's great. No, we have the same model here, you know, forcing appreciation into a building. I love the way you explained it. I'm smiling because that's like exactly how I explain it. So <laughs> to our listeners, they, uh, so that seconds, uh, the way to explain uh, forced appreciation, very good there, very good uh, definition. And um, now, so let me go in, into another uh, part of the business here, uh, as far as consistent demand, right? We're looking at some headwinds coming in from a recession that's either here or coming, depending who you ask. Um, and we're like any market, markets go up, markets go down. So now that we're looking into a macroeconomic environment, that's going to be a little hard over the next couple of years or so. Um, do you worry about filling those vacancies in those uh, Midwest markets? Do you still see consistent demand right now? Do you see that lowering at all as uh, we hit this recession right now? Well, I think that's a very important question, right? And I think one of the fallacies that you know people may have is that, uh, when you look at markets, it's understanding demand. So when we talk about the markets we look at, I like markets with an MSA of a million people plus. So I'm not talking about little, you know, tiny neighborhoods that, you know, you've never heard of. The mm -hmm. cities I'm talking about, you know, you know, Louisville, Kentucky, you know, right. Indianapolis, you know, Chicago. I mean, we don't do Chicago, but you know, Chicago, you know, Columbus, you know, you know, Cincinnati. So these are these are major cities with major airports, with major companies who call it home and headquarters here with different mm -hmm. industries there, right, with professional sports teams that are there. So what that does is it gives us infrastructure, it gives us demand. So I'm not worried about that because we're looking at all of this data. We're looking at the demographic trends. This is why I say, you know, we're looking at the markets that are growing as opposed to a blanket statement on the Midwest. I love Detroit. Detroit's going through a big renaissance. I am a champion and a friend of Detroit. Detroit's not one of our markets, right? It's not one of our markets because it's a market where we don't see the consistent demand growth yeah. that we want in a market. Doesn't mean you can't invest in Detroit. You can absolutely go to Detroit and kill it. I'm mm -hmm. saying for us, we look at demand. We're trying to forecast out. And I'm trying to do a very simple equation. And as a matter of fact, you can you ignore everything else I've set up to this point. Mm -hmm. Here's the only thing you need to think about. Okay. Mm -hmm. Will more people want to live here in the future than they do today? That's mm -hmm. all I'm trying to determine. All right. right? And, and there's a lot of different factors that come into play. Well, what, why would someone live here? Well, jobs, right? Um, colleges, universities, hospitals, nightlife. There are lots of different reasons someone may choose to live in a specific location. But I'm just trying to understand, do I, am I, I'm making a calculated guess, right? Mm -hmm. That more people will want to live here in the future than they do to now. And with that calculated guess, what I'm banking on is that there will be more demand for my apartment units in the future than there is now. Therefore, I should be able to charge more rent, right? Mm -hmm. And I should be able to make more money. That's right. what we're always trying to figure out. So when we're looking in the Midwest markets, we're looking at all the data. We're looking at, you know, again, what companies are here? What colleges are there? Are the colleges growing? What are people studying at these colleges? What is this college known for, right? Do they have an amazing engineering program? Do they have a great, you know, theater program? Okay, great. Well, theater is not something that can hold down the, the economy of a market, right? Um, yeah. So we're trying to understand all of those different things so we can make some calculated investments. And that gives us confidence in the markets that we're in and, and why we choose to invest there. Okay. Excellent. Excellent. No, I actually, I would, I went to Cincinnati and caught a Reds game uh, a couple of years ago. It's a beautiful city. It's, it's easy it to navigate in and out of, I, I love the uh, stadium there. You, you do a Reds game there, the new stadium, right? Yeah, it's beautiful. Yeah, it's great. Great, uh, great city there. Um, and uh, I did make it down to Louisville, but um, 
uh, we were not able to catch a game there. We were trying to hit all the yeah. ballparks in the Midwest there. So it's a yeah, yeah, fun road trip. But um, so no, really, really interesting market there. And um, do you find it difficult to um, get uh, financing out on some of these like cheaper priced properties? You know, uh, that have lower rent rolls, perhaps. Um, do you find banks are sometimes challenging to uh, get a team up with on these acquisitions? Uh, not at all. And I think it's just all perspective, right? I mean, like, so I've lived in the Midwest my entire life. So mm -hmm. every property I've gone to a bank on has pretty much been in the Midwest. Now, we've partnered with some deals in Texas and Florida and the Carolinas, um, but we really haven't seen an issue because there's strong demand for all the reasons I gave earlier, right? Mm -hmm. And we're not in these random tertiary markets. Now, what does happen, and I'm not sure if you see this in your markets, but what does happen is there may be uh, different interest rates, right? If you're in a core market, if you're in, you know, Dallas, Texas, Dallas, Fort Worth, or whatever, you know, maybe you can get a different interest rate than I can get in, you know, Louisville, Kentucky. Nonetheless, that's all a part of our plan, right? When we look at a deal, when we underwrite a deal, it's not like someone else is going to come in with, you know, an interest rate that they got for DFW and use that to buy in, in Louisville. So we're all kind of playing with the same uh, set of rules here. So yes. I don't think it's a problem at all. And as a matter of fact, I actually think it's an advantage because when we look at what's available, we look at kind of our proximity, we also have the option to tap into some of the regional banks and regional lenders. And you mm -hmm. can build relationships there. And you know, a lot of times, if they know that you're local or they know that you're close by, you're going to be investing in the property. If you can build those relationships, you can get some favorable terms. Yeah, no, absolutely. It's all about banking relationships. We do the same thing here with our banks. We work with a lot of local banks. Um, really, you know, we don't tend to work with national banks as much. So you don't fit in their box. You don't fit in their box. You know, we're a local <laughs> bank or a credit union. Uh, you can actually talk to the uh, managers of the bank, you know, the presidents and, and get uh, a more uh, a cheaper capital, access to more capital and also keep uh, saving on those closing costs as well. Um, so it's really the relationship based banking, which is so important to have. And uh, that's the type of banking, you know, we prefer here as well. So yeah, it's all about all about local banks. Make sure to shop around for your money, just like you shop around for your real estate. Right. And and Aaron, I would just say this, too. Like, I think a mistake people make um, when they're investing in different markets, especially if you're coming from the East Coast and maybe to the Midwest or coming from the West Coast and going down to the Southeast is taking your not just financial, but like your investing terms and visions and expectations and using that same lens in a different market you know mm -hmm. like for instance you know someone coming from the west coast they might look at some of this midwest real estate and say wow that's really cheap right if you're coming from uh silicon valley you're coming from the bay area and you see that you know houses are renting for like 800 or something like that you might be like wow that's crazy cheap like there's no way you can mess this up right it's i'm gonna buy it for x Here's the rent. This is going to be easy. I'm going to come into this neighborhood and just crush it, right? And what, what they fail to realize is that the market dynamics are a little bit different. And there are local investors who really drive that. But then there's also kind of a local ecosystem. So mm -hmm. the construction managers, contractors, the property managers, all of these individuals, they have their finger on the pulse of the local market. And it's really easy to make a mistake and either get ripped off or to not have a solid investment or to have people cut corners on you if you don't really understand that local economy or that local market. So yes, the numbers on a page are, are great, but the reality is, is that there's gotta be a real solid business plan and then people who 
who are going to implement that business plan if you really want to see success. So if you are on the coast and you're interested in getting those great returns, you got to team up with somebody who's local. Because if you try to do it from out of town, I'm not saying you will be, you know, you will or won't have success. I'm saying that I've, I don't think I've ever met an investor who invested out of market and got the returns that they thought they were going to get based on their performa. Right. It's just when you get into the market and you start dealing with, you know, the boots on the ground and the things that you've got to do to make your deal work and happen, uh, whether it be the time commitment becomes way more than you thought it was going to be. Or quite frankly, you're going through multiple property managers or multiple contractors. Um, it just isn't quite as easy as people think it may be. Sure. Absolutely. And how do you successfully manage uh, projects in multiple cities? I mean, these are hundreds of miles away. Uh, you can't be in two places at once. So uh, how do you manage all these different projects going on? Well, you got to build strong teams in each market you want to invest in. And for us, the other thing that helps is scale. So, you know, we're not really buying, you know, a five unit here and it's four unit there and a 10 unit here. I mean, we're we're buying larger properties. So we've got an 81 unit, 104 unit, 100 unit, 132 unit. Nice. So we're buying larger properties that can really sustain themselves. So we're able to, you know, vet, third party management, you know, put professional management in place, and then we manage the manager. So a lot of people may not understand when you talk about property management versus asset management, but mm. there is a difference, right? right? And I come from corporate America. So think about it like this. It's the difference between being the director versus the manager or the CEO versus, mm -hmm. you know, a senior level director. Mm -hmm. One of those people is a person who implements and executes the, the vision. And right. the other person is ultimately accountable and has to make sure everything is moving in the right direction. Mm -hmm. So as the asset manager, the role is really to understand what success looks like for you, your investors, and the rest of the ownership group. And then making sure you give the property management team the tools and resources to be successful, but to also hold them accountable in every step of the way. So mm -hmm. we're doing weekly calls. We're going through our numbers. We're looking at kind of the rent roll. We're looking at our, our traffic reports. We're analyzing what's happening at the property and then determining what do we need to do to fix it, right? If we're if rents um, are low or collections are low, well, how do we fix that? Mm -hmm. If we have too many vacant units, well, how do we fix that, right? Do Are we advertising enough? Are we spending enough on advertising? Are we saying the right things in our advertising? You know, do we need to give some sort of incentive, right? So yeah. those are the things we're doing. And, and the reason this is really critical is your property manager, just like any other manager, any other employee, they're always going to want to do whatever's easiest for them, right? right? So <laughs> the easy thing is give me more money. You know, if right. you increase right. my advertising budget, I'd have yeah. more people coming in. It'd be much easier to rent it. So yeah, yeah. they're always going to want to do the easy thing. Uh -huh. But as the owner, as a CEO, you know, you have a fiscal responsibility to tighten the reins. You know, when I was in corporate America, you know, they would give us our, our sales objectives, right? And then I'd look at my marketing budget and it was nowhere near what we felt we needed to be uh -huh. successful. But yeah. you would go up to them and say, hey, man, why is my budget so tight? And I'm like, figure it out. <laughs> That's how it goes, right? Figure it yeah. out, buddy. This is right. what you got. Figure yeah. it out. And mm -hmm. it forced us to be creative and witty and, you know, entrepreneurial. But we mm -hmm. did figure it out most of the time. Now, again, we ended up going to bankruptcy, so we clearly didn't figure it out all the time. But <laughs> our little team, you know, my little team, we were really crafty. And I give that, right. that credit to my leadership because yeah. they spearheaded that. Mm -hmm. But we did. We were able to find ways to be a bit more crafty and be a bit mm -hmm. more creative. 
And that's mm-hmm. the difference between seeing strong results and strong returns for your investors and maybe being a little bit bloated or like the previous groups that you're buying these properties from. And maybe you're not able to, to pull out that value that you're looking for. So it's always a little bit of a yin and yang and a little bit of a push, but a good asset manager is going to stay on top of the property manager and help to extract that value. No, that's great. And, and one of the challenges I've had with uh, my real estate syndication through the years was property management. In fact, that's the reason we developed our own property management company. <laughs> nope. uh, it's not like I woke up one day, it's like, my passion is property management. You know, <laughs> I was like, I don't know anyone. <laughs> Actually, I do know one person, my property manager who loves property management. She's great at it, but that's such an acquired taste. And it's a really difficult part of this business. And one of the most important as well. Um, if your management isn't there, it doesn't matter if you're invested in New Jersey or Cincinnati or Louisville or you know Texas, it doesn't matter if you do warehouses or office space or multifamily, you're not going to do well, right? If the management doesn't know what it's doing, they're not executing every day on those goals, um, then it's not going to go well. So I found uh, I had one property management company that way overpromised and underdelivered. They were a national name. I was extremely surprised how poor they were, being that they were such a big, successful company. I hired another one that was a small mom and pop company. They ended up stealing money from us and we had to take from the small claims court. And we basically said, okay, we're going to switch to a third property management company and they don't succeed. We're going to lose the the, uh, faith of our tenants and the confidence of our tenants. And we, we can't do that. We're also putting other people's money to work and we need to make sure that these projects go according to plan and we don't we don't lose a single dollar here. So we developed our own management company, which was inherent with many challenges and many mistakes along the way as well. But looking back, I'm really glad we did it because we can control those assets much more closely, but it does limit to where we can invest now within this, this market here. However, we love the North Jersey market, so it works very well for us. And New Jersey is kind of small, so you can get around pretty easily here. But um, how do you uh, really uh, know when to hire or fire a management company when you're shopping around for a new one to team up with in a new market? What's that process like? That's a great question. And it's one that I think a lot of people experience when it comes to your relationship with the managers. And, and that was our experience as well. We've gone through many property management companies. We've had a lot of different conversations and we try to learn from everything. I think the first part of it is recognizing that you know, you're you're likely going to struggle to find that perfect property manager. You know, if you expect that company to come in and just bring in their processes and their diligence and their knowledge and take your NOI up 20% in the first year while you kick back and, you know, enjoy your mimosa, that's just not likely going to happen, right? So one, we have to understand what's realistic, you know, what are the expectations, but then you've got to set the tone as the leader. And I think that's part of the challenge. And one of the things that we learned as well is that, yes, it's on the property management company, but at the end of the day, your investors are not trying to hear that. You know, like it's on us to be accountable and to go through that process. And and there's going to be challenges. I'm not saying it's going to be flawless. You know, we've experienced challenges. We, we still experience challenges. And those are the things that we have to work through because at the end of the day, people are going to look at us. So, one of the ways we manage that and we think about how do we hire, how do we fire? Um, first of all, what are we hiring for? I'm looking for uh, a track record of doing what it is I'm asking you to do, right? If we're buying B-class you know, apartment communities and we're looking to reposition them into A-class apartment communities, I want to see somebody who's done that. Right. Mm-hmm. Have you have you managed B class properties? Have you led the transition from B to an A? If we're buying C's and taking them from C's to B's, you know, do you have a demonstrated track record of doing that? So mm-hmm. that's the first thing is just hire someone who actually has the experience doing what it is 
you want them to do. Um, one of the very first mistakes I ever made or with the, the first property management company I hired, I got, um, it was the eight unit property in Chicago and I got a bunch of referrals and there was a guy I wanted to work with. And he said, well, I don't do that part of the city. Um, you know, but I know someone who does and they're great. You should talk to them, talk to them. Great conversation with them. You know, we had maybe two or three conversations, love them, hired them. And, um, they were okay. I'm giving them credit. I'm being very nice saying they were okay. It wasn't their fault though. The reality is, is that I hired them for something that they don't do well. I had a C-class property. It was a straight C-class property, right? It was, that's what it was. It was a C-class property that was nice, had potential, but it was still going to be a C-class property. <laughs> they were more of a B, B plus, A type property management company. Right. So they knew how to do nice stuff, but very little tenant interaction, mm-hmm. you know, outside of like a couple of repairs here and there, mm-hmm. you know, collections really wasn't their thing. You know, the, the little things like picking up trash on the property, this was an eight unit. They didn't come out to the property. They stayed behind their computer. There was no right. reason for them to come out. If they came to the property, they charged me for it. Mm-hmm. And I didn't, I didn't even know to ask these questions starting out. Right. I just was looking at my, my um, account. I'm like, yo, where's the rest of my money at? Oh, we mm-hmm. had to charge you for this and charge you for that and charge you for this. I'm like, wait, what? Mm-hmm. So in my mind, that's not property management, right? You charge me every time you have to get up and walk away from your computer to do something that's at the property. <laughs> so I didn't ask the right questions, right? So yes, mm-hmm. they could do all the stuff and they're always going to tell you they can do it. And um, I, I think I think you said this earlier when uh, we, we recorded um, having you on and um, or maybe you just said, I don't know, <laughs> but you were saying sometimes you have to stop contractors because uh they they always think they can do more and it's the same thing like i've never met a company a property management company or most vendors who you ask them hey you know can you do this usually the answer is going to be yes they might give you a caveat you know they might say yeah we haven't done it in a while or it's not our expertise but yeah we can pay me to do it yeah i can yeah you're gonna pay me to do it i can do it i'll figure it out so that's always the answer right so i i learned like you can't ask leading questions like that like you just have to ask them flat out you know which which properties do you have that are like this? Do you manage properties like this now? Those are the people I want to talk to, right? Yeah. Those yeah. are people on the screen. Those are the references I want. I don't mm-hmm. want the guy who, you know, lives in one of the nicest areas of the city. So, you know, his properties are super easy to manage. He's a great reference, right? Because like, oh yeah, they're great. You know, get my money every month. And blah, blah, blah. of course, you know, meanwhile, I had a resident who couldn't pay her rent because she had ghosts living in her unit. Right. <laughs> How do you want to you want to know how to vet your property management company? Ask them that. Hey, class D property, John. I don't know. So. The property is nice. I, you know, and it's the one unit I didn't see. And the owner, the previous owner, told me he said, "I'm gonna tell you what. Everyone, everything you see is what you see. But that unit right there, hey man, you can have your hands full with her." Uh, and I'm like, "Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. We'll figure it out." Oh my goodness, this woman said she had ghosts living in her unit, and that's why she couldn't pay rent. And I was like, you and them damn ghosts gonna pay your rent. <laughs> uh, <laughs> now but it's I tell double you what, for the ghost. Now, now it's double. You're not up. supposed to have them ghosts. They're not on the lease. Yeah, they're not so, on the lease. Rent's going but, up. But yeah, I, I think the key is you really just have to find people who are doing the job you want them to do. And when it comes to firing them, you know, the the sooner you recognize it's not working. Um, and I would say you got to start with yourself. Maybe mm-hmm. you didn't like just like a manager, right? Did you give right. them? clear direction, feedback, expectations. Mm-hmm. Um, do they know what they're supposed to be doing? Right. Cause maybe they don't, maybe there's miscon- miscommunication. Sure. Maybe they think yeah. you don't care about this, or maybe they haven't done something because they know you, you're tight on your budget and they don't want to spend money. And right. they misunderstood that you're like, no, but you have to do spend money on these things. Right. Yeah. Um, so there's things like that that come up. It's like, no guys, anytime there's a 
a tenant emergency or something for the tenant, we need to we need to fix that. But yeah. I don't want you to run around and just, you know, fix everything in the property just because, you know, you 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 it was not up to your liking. Right. Mm-hmm. So there's little things like that that can become big things if you're not sitting down and talking, talking through it. Um, but if you have done that, if they're clear on the vision, if you've clarified it, and you're just not getting the result you need, then, yes, mm-hmm. it's time to make a change. And then sometimes, too, it's you have to ask yourselves, is it the property management company or the on-site property manager? You know, yes. sometimes you don't have the right person in that seat, but the company is fine. Okay. Um, and in that case, you go to the regional manager, the senior level person, and you have a conversation about the staffing and the issues you're facing. And right. you see if it can get addressed. Sometimes it's the other way around. Sometimes that on-site manager is amazing, but the support, the infrastructure around it, um, you're not getting what you need. The company seems unstable. You're having a lot of issues, but you love the person on site who's interacting with the residents every day. Right. So you have to understand and break down what's really going on so you can figure out what the next step needs to be. No, that's great. And how often are you uh, in communication with these property managers? Weekly. Uh, we we do an asset management call each week um, with yeah. uh, on my bigger properties every other week for some mm-hmm. of the other properties. Um, and, you know, you get a pretty good sense of what's happening at the property. For me, it's, you know, I, I need to kind of stay on top of what's mm-hmm. happening, but then also make sure that my communication, my vision, it's very clearly being communicated. And then if yeah. there's a disconnect, I want to know that sooner rather than later. I don't want to just look at the monthly statements and be like, oh, what's what's going on here? Right. Yeah. Because now I can't do anything about that. Now I'm got I'm playing, you know, yeah. I'm I'm going backwards and and trying to figure out what happened as opposed to yeah. actively managing it and recognizing where potential issues may come so I can help the team get in front of it. Right, right. And you find yourself, you do like to get on a plane and kind of do a a site check every now and then, or is that uh part of the business? Most of my properties are within a two hour radius, so I can get out there pretty quick, um, quickly and frequently. Yeah. So I definitely get out to the properties um, relatively, you know, uh, frequently um, and checking them out. It, it also depends on what's going on with the property. So yeah. if I have a property that is, you know, heavy renovations, we're, we're turning a bunch of units, I'm going to mm-hmm. get out there more frequently so I can right. keep an eye on it, make sure the teams is there, make sure the crew's there. And then again, if I'm having calls, if the manager's telling me, hey, you know what? Uh, the the contractors, you know, getting here is slow or late or we're mm-hmm. we're behind schedule. All right, well, now now I need to go in there and see why, right? So I'm going to sure. go in and visit it to, so I can physically be on site, see what time they're showing up, see how you know mm-hmm. how much they get done in a day, right? And I yeah. can better have a better sense of what's really happening. Right. But if things are going smooth, if there's no renovation right now. I, I mean, there's really not much for me to do when I get there. I know it's, it sounds crazy, right? But yeah. no, um, I, I I get it. I get it. You I get will... it. You get it. But sometimes you show up and there's not like it's I mean, these are people's homes. You can't just go in their apartments and look at them just to look yeah, at them. Yeah, right. Because yeah. right, you're right. in town. So uh-huh. if it's if it's mostly occupied, you can check out the vacant units. You can sit with your property management team. Mm-hmm. You can walk around and see what you see. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, a lot of times, you know, I'm in there and I'm, I'm there for like a half hour, 45 minutes because. You know, it's just me putting eyes on it, seeing what I see, pointing out anything that's of a concern. Um, But on some of these properties, especially our B plus type stuff, they're pretty well kept. And, you know, Mm -hmm. they they recognize the same stuff I see, which is Mm -hmm. when, you know, you got a good team in place. Right. That makes it a little bit easier. And now the phone calls I'm having, that should match what I'm seeing when I physically visit the property. And it should also match the bank account. Right. And it should match the operations and the NOI. So if all that's matching up, then I feel really good. It's when there's a disconnect. That's when I'm trying to figure out, okay, something's wrong. What is, what's wrong and why is it wrong? What do I need to do to fix it? 
Right, exactly. And these days with FaceTime and all the technology you have, I mean, with a few clicks of a button, oh, you yeah. can visually oh, yeah. see. Oh, oh yeah. yeah. And they can turn the camera on, right? Yeah, let me see. Yeah. Yeah, and they can show me, show me the pictures of the units, of the work yeah. we did, you know, show me a video. Right. Hey, take go over here. Let me see this. So a lot of that can happen in real time where I can get it within, right. you know, a couple hours. So a lot of times it doesn't require me to physically be there, but I still like to have that because I want that connection with my team. Yeah. I want them to know that they're supported. And and I and I say my team because I do think it's important to have just like, a, again, a leader of any company. Yeah. They don't technically work for us, but mm -hmm. I mean, they're on our payroll. So, sure. Sure. you know, they're our team and they're yeah. our interface to our residents. So I want oh, them to know that 100%. they're supported and that yeah. if there's something because what happens, too, is. Sometimes there are little things that aren't worth bringing up on a call. But if you're right next to them or you're sitting there, you know, drinking coffee or something like that, and you're just walking around the property, there might be something they can point out or talk to you about or share. And again, it's not a major thing, right. but it might give you a little insight and mm -hmm. maybe it's insight on how their company works or concerns mm -hmm. they have on their mm -hmm. company or, yeah. you know, little resident interactions, right? Maybe you see residents come in and they're asking questions about something specific or, you know, you're watching the way they interact with the tenant. So little mm -hmm. things like that are always good to, to catch in person as well. So I always like to see those interactions and kind of just sit back and take some mental notes uh so it is really important to get you know even if there's no problems at the property i still think right. it's important to sit there and and soak it in so you understand what's going on sure you know it's funny you say you remember uh those troubled tenants you have i still remember the name of a tenant i had in a 25 unit in south jersey that we had sold and probably one of the reasons we sold it was because <laughs> of this tenant and they can bring down the whole building sometimes too um she'd call my property manager and just go off on like absolutely nothing and then we'd send contractors over there and she wouldn't allow the contractors in <laughs> she'd stand on the other side of the door and just verbally berate them or like through the window and the contracts would be like, I'm here to fix your, you know, supposed leaky dishwasher, whatever the, the problem is every week, a new, a new issue. And, and she, she would never let them in. And the game was, she'd complain about an issue, not let the contractor in to fix it. And it really wasn't an issue because eventually when we did go down there and like insist we're letting into the property, um, you know, that she, she, there'd be nothing wrong with it. It'd just be a, um, a strategy to avoid paying rent. But man, would she just go off on, on our property manager for hours on end and just uh, the nastiest things I've ever heard someone say to someone and and uh, on and on and on. And I'll, I'll never forget that that tenant. And like, that's the that's the bar, like the tenant you want to avoid uh, leasing to. And that's the challenge of buying a mismanaged property. Sometimes you have these tenants in there that have just been uh, completely trained the wrong way. Like the, you know, the last landlord let me skip a month was a common thing we'd hear in this building as well. This is a C-class building. And we we're like, skip a month. Yeah. Like, yeah. I don't, you know, every other month I pay rent, right. Isn't that how rent works? And that'd be a common thing we'd see. And, and, uh, so it was really those bad tenants teach you a lot about property management. I've also had bad property managers that teach me a lot as well. I've had bad contractors. I mean, these are all the best teachers in this business. You know, my good tenants, I couldn't even tell you their name because they're paying rent on time and they're basically, you know, doing, doing what they're supposed to be doing. They're happy as a clam and so are we. And that's how we want to keep it, of course. And we want to lease to good tenants going forward. But boy, buying a building with uh, mismanaged uh, tenants in it is, is uh, an upward battle often. So I'm I'm glad you're able to do it from a distance. We found it very challenging uh, getting started in the business. That's one of the reasons we developed our own in-house uh, management company. But um, let's move on to a different uh, gear here, and then we'll wrap up for the afternoon. So you're having an event coming up, an in-person event. 
Where is it? How can people get tickets? What's the cost to join? And, and why would we uh, want to shoot over there for this amazing event? Yeah, so listen, May 5th through the 7th, the 5th is going to be a welcoming event. And then the event is really going to kick off the 6th and the 7th, 2023. It's the Midwest Real Estate Networking Summit. And I'm excited because, you know, we we did this for two years in person. The third year we went virtual when COVID happened. And then we decided not to do it because in uh, 2021 and then this year because we didn't know what was going on with restrictions, you know, and at the time we had to make a decision on the venue and, you know, we had to basically be about nine months out, six to nine months in advance to make a decision. And the events in Chicago, and we just talked about the ease of doing business. And yeah. Chicago is one of those cities where those COVID restrictions lingered much longer, especially right. for these larger gatherings. Mm -hmm. So we didn't know where it's going to be. So we're like, you know what, um, the virtual experience was okay, but the reason we created this event was we felt that there wasn't an opportunity for people, particularly around the Midwest, to connect with other real real estate investors. All the other events that come to the city or come to the Midwest were basically pitch fests for those TV stars, right? They they come out and you know this guy from HGTV and he's going to teach you how to invest in real estate and you go and you're super excited and you know they tell you to come back and pay 200 bucks. And they're going to really teach you now how to do it. And you come back, you pay the 200 bucks and then they get you super excited. And they tell you for 30 or $40,000, really going to teach you how to do it. It's like, wait a minute, man. I feel like y'all just keep up in the price every time. Right. Yeah. So that's what we would get in the city. So when we launched this, it was really to help real estate investors learn how to grow and build their portfolio from other real estate investors. And I know for me and my syndication business, we've been able to help a lot of limited partners get into deals. We've been able to help active investors grow their portfolio. My partner on the event, you know, she's got a brokerage firm, so she helps people buy two to four units in the city. But it's a no-pitch event. So everyone there is there to educate, teach, share. It's not something where people are going to be holding back their secrets. If you come to the back of the room and pay some crazy fee just for today, uh, it's none of that kind of stuff, right? So it's a it's an opportunity to come out there and connect. We've got some amazing speakers lined up. Um, I got a couple big ones that I can't announce just yet because the paperwork's not signed. Uh, but it'll be great. But you can check out the website and we'll always be refreshing our speakers on the website. It's MidwestRESummit.com. And again, that event's May 6th or 7th, no pitch event in Chicago. And the one thing I will say is this event is tailored for networking. You know, a lot of conferences you go to, there's good education. Uh, but if you want to meet people, you kind of have to go in the hallway and, and talk a little bit there. Sure. We have networking built into this event, and it is uniquely structured to help you find the people who you need to grow your portfolio. So if you need to raise capital for deals, we will have breakout sessions to teach you about raising capital. We'll have breakout sessions with you know, limited partners who are looking to invest passively, you'll be able to find people who are looking for specific things and network and connect with them. So we structure this event to actually put you in the room to grow. Because I don't know about you, but the biggest thing for me when I go to these events, it's never the the stage material. It's great. And I'll get some yeah. great information from the right. stage and the speakers there. And I always enjoy it. But when I walk away, when I look back and say, hey, was this event worth my time? Mm -hmm. I always go to who I met. You know, oh, yeah, I met these three people and maybe and this person are doing a deal together and this person's investing in my next deal. And, you know, right. this person is teaching me about X, Y, Z. Right. That's where I go. So this is a networking event, first and foremost, amongst M Midwest real estate investors. Some are not from the Midwest, so don't let the name throw you all. Some are, you know, from California and New York, but it is centered towards mid the Midwest. So check it out if you're interested. It's MidwestREsummit.com. And I uh, hope to see you there.
Wow, we that's awesome. Is there um, how much are tickets? So we have not finalized ticket prices right now. I think we are they're going to come in somewhere between four hundred and six hundred bucks. Uh, but that'll be listed on the website right there. Yeah, that's not bad for a two day event. That's what I, a lot of times they're above a thousand. So that's pretty good. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. We've got some big name speakers. So um, there's going to be a VIP ticket if you want to connect with some of those individuals. But yeah, it's it's a pretty affordable event. Like I said, we've it's a proven track record. We have a great event, great turnout. So we're great. really excited to get back to doing this one in person. Awesome. Awesome. All right. I'll definitely have to check that out, John. And uh, how can people uh, get in touch with you as well if they want to learn more about your business? You know, th- there's a couple of easy things. You know, we've got our podcast called Multifamily Insights. So if you like podcasts, add that one. Um, there's a great stat that says people who like podcasts like podcasts. It's not like, you know, you you listen to one show and subscribe and that's all you listen to. So yeah. if you like this podcast and you love multifamily, check out our show too. It's called Multifamily Insights. And then the other thing is whether you are active or passive, we have a sample deal package on our website. And I think it's helpful for people just to wrap their head around what kind of information you should be looking for, either in deals that you're going to be putting together. um, So what you need to communicate, but also if you're an LP, what kind of deal structure should you look for? What kind of questions should you ask? And quite frankly, if there's some terms you don't know, look at an R deal structure so you can go look it up. And then by the time you're ready to invest in someone else's deal, you at least have a sense of what that means. But you can check that out on our website, kasmancapital.com slash sample deal. And uh, you'll get some tips on how to vet deals and opportunities as well. Awesome. Awesome. And we'll put that website in the show notes for our listeners as well. But thank you so much, John, for joining the show here. I'm really glad to have you on uh, your wealth of information. Uh, I enjoyed hearing about how you manage management companies from a distance. That's been something I found challenging as an entrepreneur and a real estate investor myself. And uh, I love hearing about the uh, Midwest Midwest market there. Um, It's kind of a a sleepy market, but there's a ton of opportunity if you know what you're doing. And it's not as much on the radar as the Texas, the Carolinas, the Florida that we hear most syndicators getting into. So it's a nice uh, space and uh, maybe a little untapped. Does it feel untapped at all on your end? It's not untapped on my end. And what I what I found is is this uh, cap rates are comparable, um, not as much as Texas. But when you go to those other markets, you have to remember that the Southeast is much newer. So mm-hmm. when we talk about, you know, buying 70s, 80s, 90s assets, well, there's a lot more of those in the Southeast because mm-hmm. that's when the Southeast actually grew. Uh, when you talk about Cincinnati is one of the oldest cities in the country, right? So a lot right. of the housing stock is much older. Mm-hmm. So that's one of the challenges you face and why you do hear more about Texas and Florida and Georgia's. You go to those markets and drive around, right? You drive around to San Antonio, there's an apartment complex almost in every corner. So sure. uh, those are the things that I, you know, you have to go in the market and look like, oh, that's why everybody's buying in Texas, <laughs> you know? But once you know. once you see that, it, it starts to click and make more sense. Yeah. But you're, you know, you're in Jersey, right? There's no big apartment complexes in Jersey. You're not driving around and like, yeah. you know, you're on Fifth Avenue and you look over and like, oh, there's a hundred unit complex. Like that doesn't happen. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, it depends. There's different markets. They're building a lot, you know, in Jersey. It's like everyone's built on top of each other. But no, you're absolutely right. The older housing stock, you know, that's one of the things we focus on are buying older pieces of real estate that are outdated and bringing them up to code, improving them to give them the finishings that people want today. So yeah, that's a great business to be in. And uh, it sounds like we're doing similar uh, models just in different places. And uh, you know, there's really no right or wrong way to invest in real estate. The most important thing is that you are investing, you are putting your capital 
capital to work. And yeah, you know, I talk to people every day that say, yeah, I'm, I'm, my money's sitting with an IRA custodian doing nothing, or it's sitting in a savings account earning, uh, you know, when out might be earning up to two or 3%, which is phenomenal <laughs> compared to what it was, but still not where it needs to be to beat inflation. So if you're not investing in real estate, if you're not sure what to do, start as a passive investor, check out John's company, check out my company, check out other real estate companies and make an educated decision on where you want to invest your hard-earned capital. But invest, invest wisely and take action. That's the most important thing. Invest with wise operators with good track records and diversify over a number of different markets and a number of different strategies, big guys, small guys, and check them all out. Especially check out People's Capital Group as well and check out uh, John's uh, group as well, the Caseman Capital Group there. John, what's your website one more time? Yeah, Casman Capital Group, or it's uh, the website is casmancapital.com. So just check us out there. Great, great. And we're peoplescapitalgroup.com. So enjoy us there as well. Thank you to my listeners for enjoying another episode of the Passive Cash Flow Podcast. Be sure to hit that like and subscribe button if you're enjoying our content. And of course, if you want to become a guest on the podcast, you can reach out to us at infopeoplescapitalgroup.com or you can also email us other ideas and topics you want to hear about with the podcast. I encourage comments as well on social media, but check us out on Spotify, Apple, iTunes. Be sure to subscribe. Thanks again to our listeners. Have a good day from the Passive Cash. Cashflow Podcast. Thank you, John. Thanks for having me.